0: Welcome to Round the Campfire, the official podcast of Ghost Stories YYC. Today we're talking with Kenzie Roth about a number of cosmic topics. H.P. Lovecraft, cosmic horror, existential dread, or as artists put it, what the fuck am I doing with my life? This is a really fun conversation. We get into it deep about the history of H.P. Lovecraft, his work, and what it means for other artists to be working uh, in that same kind of existential conceptual space. I hope you enjoy All
1: right, here we are again, after kind of a bit of a break, it seems. It's been a few weeks since we've recorded Um, this is Around the Campfire. This is episode nine, which is pretty crazy. And, uh, yeah, it's the show where we talk to artists that are part of the Ghost Stories YYC show and kind of just talk about them and then talk about stories about living a creative life. Uh, so today we've got Kenzie Roth on the show, which is exciting.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: so Kenzie, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Um, So, I'm a Calgary-based glass artist. Um, I'm actually, I'm the baby of YYC Ghost Stories. I'm still in school, (laughs) completing my uh, fourth year. Um, Hopefully, with with COVID and everything going on, we'll be completing it soon. Um, I'm doing my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Glass with a minor in uh, Jewelry and Metals. Um, So, I'm always between two shops at any point, trying to combine the two practices as much as I can. I'm passionate about both of them. Um, So, it's... It's kind of fun. Um, I use both of the media. I like to create like kind of like an atmosphere of feeling in my work where intrigue and repulsion kind of contest for dominance. Um, My work kind of explores a void both physical and psychological where we're faced with um, unknowns that exist in the spaces where we cannot, whether microscopic, historic, or in areas of our planet that are uninhabitable by humans. Um, So in other words, I like to make creepy little creatures. essentially is what I do Um, in my glass work I do mostly sculpted glass so lots of work like in a hot shop physically sculpting the molten glass Um, though I know recently that's that's not really something that you can do too too much because the nature of how a hot shop runs (laughs) everyone's very close quarters so it's not very social distance friendly so I'm trying to move more to the kiln work it's it's a transition but thankfully with 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 jewelry i can kind of do it all across the board as long as i got my my saw and my torch We're we're set and ready to go
1: <laughs> so it's it it's technically like the first week back to school have you been at ACAD uh uh in the in the first week back or is it is, are you still is it like kind of online or what what's going on with the university scene right now
2: yeah well i i start on tuesday officially and um everything for the fall is going to be online so they are offering some studio courses um through an online portal just using like whatever you can have in a home studio (laughs) they have like little guideline sheets set up for each class just outlining what kind of a space you need to develop to have a safe and functioning studio for the class we're hoping it'll be back in person for the winter we're not sure Uh, but right now it's just as many as many courses as we can online, we're doing online. So that's, yeah.
1: I guess it depends on how fast the vaccine comes. Didn't the didn't Russia start kind of administering their vaccine to the general public?
2: Did they? I'm, I'm like so not in the know with the news right now. I don't know.
1: A know, fake it's... one, probably. <laughs> I thought they called it Sputnik or something, which <laughs> is kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah i don't know that might be total fake news it's probably the thing we should look up before we talk about it but yeah <laughs> uh, yeah
0: well the americans are all going to get a, a rushed phony one so that trump can bolster his election
1: oh gosh uh, oh, no.
2: campaign. But <laughs> yeah. that's going well, to go t- very
0: badly it's like how do you get zombies well uh you administer an untested vaccine in a hurry to the military
2: <laughs> oh, there you go a that's bit. like a,
0: the perfect start to a to a film
2: yeah so yeah, no, yeah. no. Now someone needs to write a ghost story about it for the exhibition. And... Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where how patient zero is going to start. I mean, we already had patient zero with coronavirus at, you know, it, it back in March, and now we're going to have another patient zero with the vaccine, which is going to start a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, it's all just uh, going going according to some cosmic being's plan. <laughs> nice Maybe. segue oh yeah <laughs> that was that that was a segue actually no there is no plan isn't that the thing like the cosmic entities they have no plan um yeah yeah but today i think yeah well we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into um kind of uh, uh, it's the history i guess is kind of like if, out of nilhism came hp lovecraft's uh cosmic indifference or cosmic indifferentism Uh, or cosmicism uh, but just about existential dread and uh, or as artists like to put it what the fuck am i doing with my life (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which maybe we can all relate to we like big topics on this show i guess i we don't we don't really keep it easy
0: no (laughs) no so uh kenzie you're piece for ghost stories this year is based on lovecraft right
2: yeah kind of inspired by i've been reading a lot since the whole kind of shutdown and quarantine and everything it's been my it's been my summer my summer reading so (laughs) it's definitely inspired it a little bit
1: (laughs) and do you think did you did you start reading lovecraft prior to coronavirus or was it or did the Did the existential dread of coronavirus sort of inspire you to start reading H.P. Lovecraft?
2: Well, it was interesting. Like, I've always had an interest in Lovecraftian literature just in general, whether it was actually written by him or other artists that have been inspired by him or authors. And I I have read some of the big titles, like, you know, Call of Cthulhu, stuff like that. And then it wasn't until actually... um, it was the semester of the shutdown <laughs> when our, our, our classes got cancelled. Halfway through, I was in um, one of my classes. I did a similar piece to what I'm going to be presenting at Ghost Stories, what ended up kind of being my preliminary body of work for it, if you will. And um, it was my instructor that said, "Have have you actually read through a lot of his stories? Have you, like looked into it and he he recommended me a couple different authors and some some different essays to read into it everything and then um of course i didn't get to finish that class unfortunately but he's like well you know if you can't finish the class and we can't keep discussing this i want you to go out and buy an anthology and just start reading through them i think you would take a lot from it and that's that's kind of how i got started going with reading it so a lot of the stories I'm, I'm reading for the first time um, there's some that I yeah like Call of Cthulhu, The Mound um, read read those ones before but I hadn't read uh, Mountains of Madness and stuff like that and that's mm-hmm. that's that's a new one for me this, this quarantine that's just kind of shaking me a little bit so good
1: <laughs> yeah The Rats in the Walls or um, mm-hmm. uh, Dagon which I think was like his first published work um, but uh yeah, he's a, a intensely prolific writer, and so I guess if if any of the listeners don't know who H.P. Lovecraft is, a well, I mean you're living under a rock, but he's probably one of the most influential uh, writers on modern horror. Uh, I mean, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, Stephen King. I mean, there isn't really a horror writer today that hasn't been influenced by Lovecraft's work uh, or Lovecraft's sort of like uh, mythos. Um, but uh, Kenzie, do you have the Necronomicon, like his big anthology of work? Because it's like a, it's a really cool I have
2: work. Yeah, I don't have I don't have the complete like I don't have the Necronomicon, Unfortunately, I just have yeah. um, a big anthology. Yeah. That's the next one on the Amazon shopping list. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amazing, um, yeah. So his like main I guess his main sort of um, uh, idea is that you know we are basically like ants to the cosmic beings of the universe. We don't really mean anything. Uh, nothing we do has any meaning or uh, uh, it has very little significance actually complete insignificance to uh, to the cosmos at large Um, so it's really it's really akin to nilism uh, as a belief you know the idea that um, nothing we do really matters right Uh, that that we have no intrinsic. our life our lives have no intrinsic meaning or value um especially with respect to the universe um so cosmic uh is very similar to that i think the difference really is that um nihilism like rejects the idea of a a deity or a god cosmic indifference doesn't necessarily do that outright like i mean in his um writing basically there's gigantic beings uh that are the you know the cosmic entities of the world uh that exist and um they just don't care about us at all so it's it's quite a it's 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 quite closely related to nihilism
2: yeah if you want like to read a piece of his literature that you know you still you still can get a sense of how he writes and everything and his tone but isn't uh, a really big long short story i would definitely recommend it was one that i actually just read um about a month or so back and discovered. it's called from beyond it's literally only a few pages long and in those few pages it he talks so perfectly about it fits in so perfectly with all of his other writing in terms of more like a, a conceptual standpoint definitely recommend reading that one
1: hmm, cool yeah, and there's actually, if, if anybody's interested in really, like, diving into his life, and it, it's a really actually interesting documentary about him uh, on YouTube called, let me find it, um, H.P. Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown, so if you just YouTube, like, uh, search that in YouTube, it's a really, really, like, maze of bad early 2000s documentary, uh, but it has a lot, a lot of prominent writers uh, just talking about his life, because... He he wrote, like, over a 100,000 letters. Uh, So, like, there's a hugely uh, vast document of the man's life. So you can get a really good picture of, like, what his upbringing was like, uh, what his belief systems were, what his, you know, loves, fears, goals, everything like that. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. And he also, he died impoverished and destitute uh, and was never popular during his life, which is kind of interesting considering his beliefs that we're all insignificant and our lives don't have any meaning
0: <laughs> until after you're dead and then you're until famous. after you're dead
2: yeah that's always how it works isn't it yeah.
0: <laughs> so i'm the lovecraft um uh uneducated lovecraft person in this room i think uh you guys have both read lots and i've read almost none or zero um a lot of related things that i love but uh, i'm not i'm not really up, up to speed so I'll play the uh, the noob who needs to uh, be educated by you guys. But, um, so it it seems to me that it's really interesting because it seems to me that he had there's a bit of a um, contrast in his the way he builds his um, his lore that like there's a co- the insignificance of humans contrasted with this like cosmic, but they're kind of deities, right? They're not they're not Aliens, really? They're 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 are, Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're they're presented as gods in a way, right? Which kind of props up the the classic um, religious myths that humans have traditionally come up with. Um, in contrast to the sort of modern um, uh, sort of theoretical physics views of the same kind of insignificance based on other technologically advanced civilizations potentially right um but those would be like real aliens not not sort of godlike figures but is is that true that his that the the cosmic beings are kind of gods in his
1: lore yes and no um he definitely, I mean, his writing definitely takes a more science fictiony stance on things, um, but it's, it's that they, they don't adhere to any sort of um, geometric or mathematical understanding that we possess, which is that's a big part of the, like, the terror and the, the psychological horror of his work. Um, like Ryla, which I'm probably actually pronouncing that wrong. Like it's a it's a city where Cthulhu lives that doesn't adhere to any geo, geo sort of, um, uh, ge- geographical or geometric rules that we know of, and so it's it's maddening to be there because we just can't fathom or understand it.
0: Right.
2: Um, yeah, I, th- I think it also depends how how you want to define God, because I think there, especially in writing, it can be used as like. You know, referring to a deity or a series of deities or something that's that's godlike, right? And I know a lot in a lot of his writing, he refers to them as ancient beings. Um, I know I, more than like aliens or gods themselves, like things that have been here long before us and will be here long after we're gone we mean nothing in their, their lifespan. And they, because of that, they have a vaster knowledge of faster civilization or so be it, whatever, whatever you have, like whatever it be. Um, and in that sense, I guess, in comparison to us, they are godlike beings, but I don't know if they're like gods in the sense that they created us or like we, we have no significance to them. Right. So yeah, I guess it just depends how you want to define God.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think it's the way our, our interactions with them, I guess, in these stories is somewhat uh, uh, related to how we interact with gods. Like, the, the, you know, there's cultists that worship them um, and everything like that. But th- at the end of the day, these beings, the cosmic entities, don't care about the cultists. They don't care about anything. Um, it's actually a, it's, it's m- a modernized thing. Of, their, of the of the H.P. Lovecraft mythos is that these gods are evil. Like so, in a lot of um, a lot of like modern retellings or more like uh, new stories, uh, they're made out to be evil. Like they want to destroy the human race or anything like that. But the original mythos and the, the terrifying part about it was that they actually didn't care about us at all. So that's what the indifference part comes from. It. Um, so they weren't evil, but they also weren't good. They just didn't care.
0: Yeah, that's really yeah. That is extra scary. It's it's the same kind of like it's the relationships we have with, with like ants, um, or even chickens or something, right? It's like it's not like we, we we, don't we we don't maliciously go out and stomp on anthills typically, but if you walk over one and like kill fifty ants, it literally doesn't impact your day, at all and uh that's kind of a terrifying concept that there is without a doubt if any ancient or what civilization or anything that is just far more advanced than us or far more um, cosmic in a sense than us uh would have, would be relate to us in that exact same way yeah spooky.
1: it is it is spooky and kenzie so like in our in our note thing here um you've mentioned it like and also in your own um uh kind of bio like you mentioned the world without us um which is a big theme in his writing and in like the philosophy surrounding his writing um so it's like our ability to conceive of the world without us like this world that that exists whether we are here or not um is very hard for us to uh comprehend right and that's actually like um it's supposed to be like the, the the one of the larger themes in his work is is just the idea that that this world this this cosmic being exists without us or not and it doesn't we just don't matter. Um, so it's uh yeah that's a big one in his work
2: yeah and i think it's i'm learning it's becoming more and more prevalent especially now and maybe that's part of the reason why his writing is getting so popular i've been reading a couple other like I'm a nerd, I like my psychology essays and my articles and I'm reading more about, um, there's this whole idea of like cancel culture which led me on this like little rabbit hole into like social narcissism and everything and how, how we're so funnel visioned as a society to just be thinking so much about the self and so much about the here and the now and in that sense I feel like then you know having a sudden moment where you're zooming back Um, and looking at everything and how, you know, short your lifespan is and insignificant it is in, you know, the overall running of the world and the time span of its existence and everything especially when you are born and raised and taught in society to be thinking solely about your everyday, your life how you're gonna do this, how you're gonna make money, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, none of that matters I think it's like scarier more now than ever before, right? Which might be why his literature is just getting more and more shocking as more and more readers are reading it.
1: Well, yeah, because I mean, it, the big thing is about the void, right? Like the void mm-hmm. being, you know, the world without us. Um, and I think uh, maybe it, as society as, at large right now is just like looking at the void. And we've had it, I mean, the pandemic is terrible and awful, but it's definitely not going to wipe out the human race. But we've had a glimpse of that a little bit where it's, you know, we are looking at. A precipice of, of existence without us, a bit, um, and his work is a lot about that. Um, but kind of just to relate it to art and just what you're saying, saying there, Kenzie, about how I mean, artists, we always want to feel like we're doing something important, like we want to, do, like we're doing, we're trying, we're all trying to do something that has meaning. Um, <laughs> And it's, and our, our, our love of H.P. Lovecraft kind of tells us that our art doesn't have meaning and it never will. Um, or that, you know, anything we do isn't really important at all, which is a sad and scary thought.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to bring another author into this, but I'm going to bring another author into this. That's I'm, fine. Reading, I'm reading this book, uh, another one that was recommended to me by my instructor, and I've I've read it over, like, seven times. Such a good read. It's very short. It's called The Spectacle of the Void. It's by David Peake. And in it, he goes into just fully in-depth everything about kind of understanding the void and cosmic horror. And it, like, lines up so perfectly with Lovecraft but explains it from um, a different standpoint, right? And takes into consideration other horror movies and authors and what they've done. Um, But he he comes into this... he, He has this whole discussion about... Um, the void and how it's how it's humans coming face-to-face with displacement and alienation and like meaninglessness in life. And um, what makes that truly scary is that it's, it's uncommunicable. Like, you, you can't fully fathom or talk about it because it's so far beyond you, right? Like, um, you know, you have the things that we know that we know the things that we know that we don't know and then the things that we don't know that we don't know and once you get into that realm like anything that's so far beyond us that we don't know what you know we might not know it just it your brain kind of shuts down it can't there's no language that can that can communicate that feeling and that search for knowledge in that that space right and um, David Peake argues that's why there's so many writers and so many artists uh, trying to tackle this concept, right? Because they're trying to fill in the spaces where where our language fails and our words cannot. You can do so much more with, with art and music and creative literature in terms of um, kind of universal expression, right, than just words alone and uh, using that art as a f- way to try to process and comprehend the spaces that we cannot have access to and we literally don't know anything about um is is why people are creating right
1: yeah so uh that's amazing because a little while ago um i actually was playing devil's advocate with john and asked him you know why should we fund the arts um john what was your answer to that <laughs> I don't remember. (laughs) Um. I do. Go ahead. Uh, Well, because you said, you know, art is like a language, you know, and I think that is where we can take a lot of value and feel like our jobs are important and have meaning is because we are trying to dissect these things. We are trying to like art is a language that is trying to make the unintelligible intelligible. And it's super important for that.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's so interesting, even just studying different languages and words that you have for the same concepts, right? And certain languages will have more way to more ways to say one thing than another, but like everything falls short of visual, right? Like a an image speaks a thousand words, and um, especially when it comes to our brain comprehending things, right? Just every time words will run short, it's like... It's like when you're sitting there trying to describe something you're like I can't figure out the word but it's on the tip of my tongue and you're like I just want to show you and yeah it's yeah I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well,
1: John, it's a way you, Sorry, go ahead, buddy.
0: It's a way to um try yeah, like like you say try to communicate the uh the sort of deeply inconceivable things like Lovecraft his he was alive like straight through World War 1 and into World War 2, right? I'm just looking at his timeline here, and he's like he died in 37. Um, so sort of right in the heart in the heat of the onset of World War II and uh, obviously like was I'm sure doing all of his writing right through the years of the first World War. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of artists at that time were were trying to desperately make sense of what was going on and and how sort of inconceivably existentially terrible this uh the war was uh and I mean obviously lines up perfectly with how nihilistic his writing is but um, it does it kind of kind of becomes a language to uh to try to try to describe the indescribable which I think the war war was for a lot of people mm mm-hmm. So, I don't, and that relates to, I mean, of course, that relates exactly to now. I mean, what, what, I think a lot of artists are going to try to, try to make sense of this pandemic. Um, there's nothing like this that's ever been quite this bad. And it's, I mean, frankly, not that bad compared to what it could be easily, as we all know. But it's, um, it's pretty unprecedented and, uh, glo- and it's a global experience that, that we rarely get, and I think we're—it's uh, terrible, but we're also privileged to kind of experience this um, history in the making as as artists to try to find the find the language to to make sense of it for the rest of the world, if we can. Mm-hmm.
1: Sense making is uh, definitely like I think central to. How we can fight against that feeling of the void, maybe, um, but I guess that the void is just complete nonsense, um, and we're still trying to make sense of nonsense. In yeah,
0: but I mean, it, exactly. I mean, the what we're faced with now is just this this taste of how quickly the veneer of our whole civilization can just be stripped away mm-hmm. by like a microscopic. Thing, right, mm-hmm. that just takes us all by storm. Um, and these, you know, a guy like Lovecraft was watching millions of men just die horrifically in war and uh, try to make sense of that. Mm-hmm. And they're both equally terrifying voids to sort of look into and try to make sense of.
1: Do you think, um, sort of, the horror genre is uniquely suited to? trying to describe those things? Kenzie, what do you think? Yeah, that's... Because I mean romance, romance novels or romantic art or... uh, Well, I guess romantic art is a bit of a different uh, genre than... uh, (laughs) um, uh, Romantic novels. But, uh, uh, you know aren't exactly as like well suited to trying to break down those veneers and try to understand them or make sense of them or or um, give them a language that we can sort of try to dissect and understand. Horror seems to be pretty unique for that.
2: Yeah, definitely. I It's interesting just because I have taken, I know, going back to this one course that I um, was taking, it was a course literally about horror and creating in horror and just talking with some of my um classmates and everything we're talking about why why we wanted to take this class right why why a horror class and there was there was you know lots of different answers and it kind of came down to to two two kind of big reoccurring themes and one was i'm trying to understand overcome or help people with something some sort of difficult subject so whether it was they wanted to take this course because they were interested in art therapy or processing trauma or what have you and then there were the other side of things where people just really liked the aesthetic and how it made them feel and how curious it was and i don't know i think horror does such like both of those avenues it goes down them so so perfectly right i think when you're creating in, in a horror genre, um, the way I like to break it down is there's, there's th- in my mind three main types of horror, there's there's body horror, there's world horror, and then there's cosmic horror. And so like the body horror would be things that like, you know, for example, with everything going on right now and the coronavirus would be like, I'm afraid that if I get the coronavirus, something's going to happen to my body, like it's within me, it's affecting me directly. right. And then world horror would be something like um war or you know maybe right now again with the coronavirus economic um instability or um you know the riots in the states and everything that could be considered or war- world horror and then the cosmic horror is the space that you don't have any knowledge or access to but you know it's you know it's there so maybe that's um You know like wondering about how how long the pandemic's gonna last thinking about you know um how small we are in the the scale and how vulnerable we are in the the scale and the life of the earth right and i think when you're creating art within the genre of horror or writing or film whatever i think i think usually um it will lie within one of those three kind of topics and try to process one of those three topics to some extent um or at least that's how I like to think about it.
0: <laughs> I think uh, I think it's really important for for artists to, like to aim for that cosmic scale, um, because I think that's really the sweet spot where where you can communicate to people what is really important, um, because the people generally lack the ability to have a sort of perspective beyond either their body or our world if they can get to our world then that's impressive already but to to, to sort of gain a perspective beyond that is uh, is really really difficult for people it's, we're not really wired that way um but existential risk and existential dread i think is is so important right now more than anything to start Trying to gain perspective on, because as as scary and, and negative as it is, I think it's the, one of the most important perspective shifts we can start to try to get as a, as a civilization, because it's the only way we're going to solve the massive problems that we have facing us going forward, and like like things like a like global pandemics that are only inevitably going to manifest in a worse way than than COVID has for us. Um, so I think that's, that's a great description, Kenzie, of the sort of three tiers of it. And I think, I think it's, uh, that top tier is, I would almost put them in a hierarchy in a way, right? Like that sort of body horror is, it's like you're, you know, you can get into like your slasher films and things like that, where it's Cronenberg. like, yeah, getting torn up and, and it's scary because it's visceral and everybody cringes when their body gets hurt or injured and, or turns into something that is, it is alien, but like. But that's just, it's, it's a bit more superficial than, and then you get, you get into the, these larger scale things. And I think it's important to aim, aim there as an, as an artist.
1: And I think, uh, also it's, it's almost, a, a, if we're talking about film or writing in general, um, it's important to almost hit all three, if you can like, if you mm. can't, it's because it, the, the body horror stuff is like directly relatable. Uh, the world horror stuff is, you know, a little bit indirectly relatable, but then like the con, the cosmic stuff is like the, yeah, you know, I just, I like your, your way of like breaking it out into a hierarchy of, of, of stuff.
0: Um, yeah, you're right. No, if you can, if you can, like, it's like a good way to reel people in. It's good devices, right? To like, yeah. relate, get people related to, to, uh, to the story you're trying to tell. And then mm-hmm. you can just give it, I mean, my favorite genre in the world is, is sci-fi horror crossovers like come on there's nothing better
1: but it's true uh, (laughs) well I think I think think H.P. Lovecraft is a bit of sci-fi horror I think that's like a good way of describing it as well I mean he didn't really he kind of did away with a lot of like the gothic tropes of horror and did get into a little bit more of the scientific stuff so uh, what's neat is that Lovecraft actually wanted to be an astronomer uh and his math he was so bad at math that he didn't make it into school (laughs) So, interesting yeah but how does this all still relate back to to art making and 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 art artists in our existential dread of like what the hell are we doing with our lives
2: i, I think it still all comes back around to the idea of we're, we're trying to express and comprehend right like people talk about oh, I like to create art because it's a form of expression. It helps me process things, right? And I think whether it's, um, you know, kind of like this big overarching existential dread, what am I doing with my life? What happens when I die? Or whether it's just something little like, oh, my coffee tasted bad this morning and I'm upset and I just want to make art about it. Like, it's it's all about just trying to express things that we we can't with words and we can't understand or we're trying to um process trauma or whatever it is right like um we can only express things so much with our words and so much more with images
0: I think it's a compensation um it's definitely uh all those things and I think it's I think it's like um it's where it, artists tend to be maybe more aware of uh, I mean we, we probably all think too much about everything including existential issues and um, it's a way of kind of compensating for this. It's a quote uh, from Alex Colville my absolute favorite artist he says, art is the primary means by which man compensates for the relentlessness of death and temporality. It's a sort of a way of like making, leaving something behind in a way but also like just making putting yourself out of taking yourself out of yourself and putting it into something that uh, that ha- in some way has a ha- compensates for uh, for the fact that we know we' we're, we're temporal and we will die eventually mm-hmm.
2: yeah I think that's maybe even why um, you know not even just us an artist just someone that um, just any viewer or like a, a horror fan might be drawn to um, the genres just because it, it provides them some sort of um understanding or some sort of glimpse into a void where normally like in reality they might not be able to have access to right they they're just left thinking about it and being able to have some like a visual to tie to it that they can explore and process and um accept right um just it, it, it's it's comforting in a sense which is kind of interesting to me as horror is usually it's it's so visceral and it's so much the opposite um to think of it as something comforting I think is kind of interesting but I, I, I think it's I, I think it's essential in a sense that we have some level of, of horror genre or you know some sort of reflection on horrific topics because there's there's really no other effective way like that to to overcome our fears and our like dive into the void if you will
1: (laughs) it's got to be one of the longest standing traditions though of of just telling ghost stories right um sitting around a campfire and, and and telling these dramatic stories about life and death and and i mean even in a in a weird way i guess like even like early religions probably were a little bit lo- about that you know it's about trying to grapple with the fact that we are temporal and and it's this horrific thing is death but we all experience it um which i wonder if uh in this there's um so there's this book called um uh, in the dust of this planet by Eugene Thacker um and it's uh he's got this thing that he's i don't know if he coined it but it's the horror of philosophy Um, which is, you know, saying that uh, the genre of horror is really good at trying to break down these uh, things that we can't understand, like mainly the world without us. Um, I'll just read the blurb on the back of this book, but I'm I'm making my way through this book and it's really, it's really interesting, but um, the world is increasingly unthinkable, a world of planetary disasters, emerging pandemics, and the looming threat of extinction, in this book, Eugene Thacker suggests that we look at, to the genre of supernatural horror as offering a way of thinking about the unthinkable world. To confront this idea is to confront the absolute limit of our ability to understand the world in which we live, a central motif of the horror genre. And I think like sitting around the campfire for ages, ages gone past is like that's, there's always been this, we're trying to figure it out. <laughs> figure out our meaning and maybe figure out the fact that we don't have meaning or anything like that. But ghost stories are so good at doing that, giving us a glimpse at stuff that we don't understand or that are beyond our comprehension. Um,
2: well, that's going on my reading list. <laughs> oh yeah, it's,
1: it's good. He actually, uh, so, uh, anyways, sorry I brought that up a little bit just because, um, Radio Lab did a, uh, which is a podcast, um, Radio Lab did an episode about this book and they, I just recently listened to it again. Um, and they talk about how there's like this cool factor as well with, with nihilism and, uh, and um, cosmicism, uh, cosmic and This cool factor where like, yeah, I believe all this. I just, I also just don't care. Like I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with the fact that, that, Uh, I'm insignificant. I just thought that was such a neat thing. And do you think that there's a little bit of a, I mean, artists are trendsetters for sure, right? Um, I think maybe there is a cool factor in being okay with the fact that maybe our work doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) It would be cool if I could feel like that. I, th- I feel like that's advanced nihilism you know like you yeah. get, like you go through all the dread and the and the horrible like feeling really bad about everything and then you just you come at the other end like yeah whatever <laughs>
1: it's like transcendent nihilism yeah yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah i feel like every time at least what i'm making and tackling these concepts and everything yeah it's definitely easier said than done that's for sure <laughs> um yeah, I feel like it's either, it's either you find a way to accept it, which is so difficult because it's such a, a vast topic or you just have to not care and stay ignorant to it because the only, like I, I know with myself, getting into like this little rabbit hole, digging through all this information, sitting here having, having my existential crisis, <laughs> my midlife crisis at 20, oh gosh, <laughs> um, and, and it's not that I, I, accept like you know existential dread and all this stuff going on it's just that i'm like i I move on with my day you know it's still there but i just choose not to accept it or choose not to think about it (laughs) just stay ignorant
1: it's it's interesting that you just brought that up because i feel like you're in a bit of a unique position here john and i have been out of school for oh i don't want to say like 15 years now but um but I remember distinctly when I graduated, like hitting an existential wall, right? Where I was like, "What the hell did I just spend four years doing? What am I gonna do?"
0: Oh my um, god! Yeah, that's a great point to bring up. That's like because it, it is that like not not to sort of well, this is preparatory for when you're <laughs> when you're done your school, <laughs> Kenzie, because because it really get like you hit you do hit this wall where like uh, you have all this validation. Uh, all throughout school, with critiques and with professors looking at especially your stuff if you and with... achieved a lot too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and then you come out and you go into a studio by yourself, making stuff for yourself that no one's going to see until you somehow get it in front of them. And there's zero validation that that uh, that remains after that. And it's just just like it is this nihilistic experience that just. You come out and you have nothing, uh, you, it's ins- you're suddenly insignificant, you know, after coming from a place of where, where you feel really significant. And I think that is, is directly relates to the it's, large topic. Yeah, it's definitely
1: here. like entering the void, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just, you get out of this nice microcosm of stuff and then you're like, whoa, I'm, I am definitely in the void right now. Um, not Maybe to freak we sh- you out yeah
2: <laughs> no, no yeah.
1: i yeah but i'm just wondering like are you are you starting to feel that or have you already started to feel a little bit like that
2: oh man i feel like i started going through all that when when the pandemic started and mm-hmm. because my my last semester that i was in um got cut short um now most of the classes we were done most of the work so they just ended the class we they just gave us a final grade and that was that um some of them went online but just kind of coming to terms with the fact that like hey i'm not going back to school in the fall i'm not in the studios we're not doing panel critiques um you know even even in the winter semester when we do likely go back in person it's it's going to be a very different environment it's not going to be the same amount of access and attention and 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 community right just because we can't we can't have that kind of um space with with physical distancing and everything in place and i i feel like i kind of went through all that that little bit of crisis of now what am i gonna do especially with a medium like glass where you're so reliant on all this very expensive equipment that's just like you know not something you could put in your mom's basement that's for sure um (laughs) so yeah i i kind of had to figure out where i was going really quickly and where where i wanted to place my time and my money and my effort um starting to get stuff figured out still a lot to handle trying to trying to figure it all out but it, it definitely helps if you have a little bit of, of a community to try to work through everything with and get your back and everything which i guess is the one nice thing about Going to uh, a smaller school or an art school where your classes are not very big, right? You do you do get really, really strong connections and you all help each other out through graduating and everything. And if, if you're willing to put the time and effort in to make connections and, and get out there and just try things, try a farmer's market, try a sale, you know, Usually usually things will or hopefully things will start rolling your way, right?
1: Yeah, those are good combat techniques to the void for sure.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you are sort of getting, I mean, the pandemic's not an ideal way to come about it, but that you're getting kind of like a, a, a slow ramp into that experience because I think like as Matt described it, like you hit a wall coming out of university, like abruptly um, into that sort of zero validation environment. Um, and I think when, when we graduated, Matt, this, the numbers I was told is that less than 1% of graduating visual artists continue making work at all after university. Oh, I believe uh, that. Just, yeah, it was just totally. like a, it's a terrifying number. And maybe in relation to that number, maybe we shouldn't get people to uh, have a large uh, cosmic perspective. Because maybe if they do <laughs> generally get to that void, maybe less than 1% will continue to be productive members of society. <laughs>
1: we're doing we're doing everybody a favor right now we're trying to scare off everybody from mm. making this decision <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's funny but um regardless we're all still here we're all still making work which is pretty good for the most Absolutely. part yeah it's all it, it it's a battle too because it i mean uh, just the the kind of yin yang of humanism versus nihilism, right like so humanism is a f- the philosophical stance that emphasizes the value and agency of human beings individually and collectively um which is kind of the exact opposite of what nilism is which is that our life has no intrinsic meaning or value um and i wonder like it's hard to make art that doesn't at least dip into humanism because we want to feel like everything we do has value um especially when you graduate and you're kind of trying to continue making work i think it's super important to have a humanistic uh sense but maybe a nihilistic uh reality check every once in a while like there's got to be a positive to having nihilist uh, or or cosmic indifference. Alongside your, your, your goals and your wishes and your values.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, I feel like, you know, if, if nihilism is like your your reality check, if you, I think that's that's super important. It's it's never gonna. I mean, for very very few people, do you ever just get out of school and then like you know blow up as this this big famous artist? It's often a lot of hard work and humbling experiences and lots of failures lots of attempts and it like i know especially with glass artists whenever you think about like the greats like chihuly and grant garmezzi like they're not necessarily they're not necessarily old people but they're also not young people like they've been working in the field for 10s 20s 30s of years right Uh, it's not something that you can just do all of a sudden i think that comes with with any practice right it's there it's exactly what it is it's practice and and I feel like if if you're so centered around your work and making something just for the people and making something for popularity it, it's you're you're never gonna get as far as if you have that holistic view like yeah this this doesn't have meaning right now like it there's no intrinsic meaning or value in what I'm doing but you know, it can go somewhere right like this you gotta have the balance
0: (laughs) yeah it's a really precarious balance it's you have to sort of place value in the making of your own work but yeah you have to kind of mitigate your expectations of how much value that has in the world really and because I think that keeps you making it if you can sort of keep that in check and and remain a little bit nihilistic about about the fact that your work has Really, it is unlikely to have major significance in the world. It will have significance to some people, and that's fine. But it doesn't have to be like the the biggest thing that the whole world goes mad over. You don't have to be an H. P. Lovecraft that influences a hundred years of of other artists, right? But,
1: well, that didn't even happen while he was alive.
0: No, well, exactly, and it, right. and, it, and yeah, and yeah, and I mean, he had no maybe, control maybe... over that. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, But, yeah, it is a really precarious balance, and I think it's something that drives us all a little mad. Um, (laughs) We've talked a few times on this podcast about, um, you know, the anxieties and the the madness that comes from trying to keep yourself working as an artist, and I think this this, this sort of balance plays into that definitely a little bit. Um, Kenzie, tell us a little bit more about, the themes in your work I don't like this sort of the cosmic horror thing plays a, plays a role but um or the cosmic dread I guess if you will but um are, are there other existential themes that that run through your work
2: yeah so with my work specifically I like looking at creatures and oddities with on like voids within our own planet so not necessarily in like the cosmic sense of like um gods and existence and aliens and this whole vast... I, li- I like to try to keep it um, more local, relatable environments that you encounter on the daily, but are not necessarily aware of them. Um, so specifically this, this past year and a bit, a lot of my work I have been looking at um, electron microscope images and um, just micro colonies and uh, ecosystems of bacteria bugs insects all all sorts of things and um you know you, you see these uh microscopic images on the internet and every time someone i show them one they're like oh that's us discuss- oh i hate that that's so creepy and i'm like well why why is it creepy it's just it's just an ant. It's just a fly. Like you don't think that's creepy when you see it in your house, and so just kind of delving into why why that is and how that lines up with the void, and um, just kind of discovering that it's 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 a space that's so um, untouchable by by people just until now, right? When we've had the technology, and just because it's so unfamiliar and so unknown and so it brings this new, this new fear and it it almost feels threatening if you will, right? Because they're, they're so vastly different from, from anything that we've known or understood about them before, right? Um, and how that, how that makes us feel and, and on that same note, like, um, how similar creatures interact with, the human body, right? Like if you're thinking about insects, look at lice and everything like that, right? Like how something so small can have such a big impact on our lives, and and how you know whole societies or you know, schools or whatever can be can be shaken just because of minute things, right? Which I think is even more prevalent now than ever with with the coronavirus, right? This one little virus, this tiny microscopic thing, is taking down the whole world very slowly, right? So just, just how the little things that we encounter every day are, are little cosmic horrors of themselves, right? They might not be as big as Cthulhu, but they're like little baby Cthulhus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love
1: the inversion of the, the grandiose and how your work kind of plays with the, the inversion of that
2: yeah you got the big infinities and then i like to look at the little infinities
0: (laughs) yeah well they're equally scary i mean it's sort of like a resolution issue for people i think we spend most of our history with a certain resolution on the world where we can see what's in front of us we can see what's at our scale and like a an animal like a something slightly larger than us is scary but then we start to, with technology, we start to increase the resolution, both looking up and looking down, right? I mean, we can, we get microscopes and we get telescopes and we we start to see the, the real scale of things and it starts to freak us out, frankly, I think, because we just, we're not wired to sort of see that and, and process it um, naturally over so much history. It's a very cool, very cool topic to tackle in the work.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like I was saying with that the, the Cthulhu reading that I recommended earlier, um, the story from beyond, he has a specific line in it, and it says, uh, we see things only as uh, we are constructed to see them and can uh, gain no idea of their absolute nature. And I think that with our curiosity, and we, we have such a science-focused society, right? We're always trying to look and discover um new things and understand as much as we can right but i think it comes to a point that you need to understand and accept the fact that we were not made to know everything and we cannot know everything and the more that we try to look and know and understand it's just gonna uncover like we're just delving further into the void and and it's it's vast and you know it's as well, H. P. Lovecraft said, it's, it, they're black seas of infinity, right? Like they, they go on forever, they're forever rolling, filled with whatever horrors, and the more we try to discover in there, the more we're going to find it. Our curiosity is never, I think, going to fix any of our fear, but just create new fears, right?
1: Well, like with the, with the line from Dark, um, what we know is a drop, what we don't is an ocean.
2: <laughs> mm, I like mm-hmm. that.
1: Yeah. That show is so damn good. Holy moly. Everybody yeah, should highly go watch it. Yeah. Um, well, I just, I while you were talking about your your um, kind of the microscopic and stuff, it's interesting that like a lot of Lovecraftian horror has to do with tentacles and kind of squiddy, sort of weird creatures. Um, but your work, which plays with the microscopic, um, I urge everybody to look up Nematodes. So N-E-M-A-T-O-D-E-S, which are roundworms. And so they're microscopic organisms, but if they wanted to, they could wipe us out, like instantaneously. Um, They're like the most numerous creatures on earth. And uh, it's like the most, I guess the most like uh, 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 well-known form of nematode is a, a roundworm. Uh, but they're like super gross, and uh, just, just it's interesting that the the like they're the Lovecraftian kind of Cthulhu thing has like this tentacle like thing, but then the also the smallest most possibly devastating creature to, to human beings is also sort of like tentacle like.
2: Oh yeah, so many of the images are so. The best word that I can I can describe is just eldritch, right? Like there they are the parallels just in imagery is so interesting, especially because um the invention of the electron microscope, especially um in in the resolution that we have today was not something that was fully, fully developed at his time and that he would have access to all of these images. So just him coming up with these concepts of what would be this big horrible cosmic being and then you look under a microscope and it's like, oh there it is <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of ironic.
1: <laughs> it exists already here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Cthulhu's here, and he's living in your backyard.
1: Oh, possibly living in your in some bacteria in your bed.
2: Oh but... gosh, yep.
1: <laughs> so gross. Uh, well,
2: <laughs> on that's... that note, I am on... washing all of my sheets tonight. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: really funny. Oh, that's funny. Well, um, that was awesome. That was a really interesting talk. I don't know what we got into, if if any of it makes sense, but none of it matters. That's for sure. Right. Right.
2: No, nothing matters. None of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You should take solace in the fact that we are all equally as insignificant as each other, just as we are all potentially as equally as important as each other. In the eyes of the universe, none of it matters. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, thanks for coming out, Kenzie. Uh, if, if people wanted to find your work, where can we find your work?
2: Um, I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Everything's kind of the same username across the board. Facebook, Instagram. My sister made me make a TikTok. it's all oh um, no <laughs> yeah bandwagon now if you want to watch me attempt to make stained glass there you go um, it's it's floofer.art so floofer is f-l-u-f-u-r.art um, it's don't worry about it it's a it's a little childhood nickname that's followed my my work and then uh, my website's just mackenzierothcom sweet and simple you'll find it there <laughs>
1: Well, that about wraps that up. Thanks for listening to our talk about everything cosmic horror. Ghost Stories YYC is a group uh, visual storytelling uh, show where we have all the artists create new work based on a ghost story, folktale, or urban legend, and then make new work about it. Uh, This year's show will be opening on October 23rd at the Roberto Osberg Gallery. Follow us on Instagram for up-to-date information at ghost underscore stories underscore uh, and you can check us out on the interwebs at www.ghoststoriesyyc.ca keep it spooky